everybody's gonna pay. Cause the million dollar man Welcome back to another edition of the Million Dollar Question. Uh, today I have one of, I'd probably say one of my first real kind of Twitter friends. Like I've never met the guy before, but we met through social media. Uh, he's a cool guy. His name is Omar G. And um, big wrestling fan, uh, a co- comic book fan. So he's right down my alley in terms of uh, my, my personal interests. Uh, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great yourself. I am doing great. Uh, it was kind of funny. I was looking for you, uh, searching for you on Skype because we do this on Skype. And uh, there's a lot of Omar G's out there. So I'm looking for your, your email address. I'm not going to give it out, but one, uh, one of them had like Omar G and then underneath it says, I love booty. And I was like, I don't think that's Omar G. <laughs> yeah, that's not me. I'm not broadcasting that message. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and uh, jump, in, uh, jump into this. I'm going to ask you a series of questions about uh, the wrestling business. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. So who do you think is the best wrestler of all time? So a little bit of a different question, and I think it's a change-up in the format, but it's a good question. It's uh, for me, and, and I started my wrestling fanaticism, um, you know, following back in the mid-'80s uh, during high school. Ric Flair. Ric Flair's a guy, both as a technician in the ring, uh, on the mic, and just as the larger-than-life personality. He's the guy that got me watching. And, you know, it was the, the Saturday night uh, NWA on, on TBS. And even the uh, the syndicated show Saturday night, you know, that he made it worth watching. Yeah, I was uh, – I think everybody's kind of born like a, a WWE fan in the beginning, right? Because that's like the first kind of mainstream wrestling that you you would watch. And then I'd watch this kind of like hillbilly show show called like NWA. And I think it was just World Championship Wrestling. I don't, I don't even know if they called it that way back then. But my first introduction to Ric Flair – believe it or not, was against Ricky Steamboat because I came over when Steamboat, uh, when I found out Steamboat was in uh, on TBS. And the the story that I always kind of tell is like I'm watching this best out of three match. That was the first match I ever saw of Ric Flair was their best out of three. And um, I'm watching Steamboat and I'm just, I'm just like amazed by Steamboat. But then like halfway through that match, I'm watching Flair and go like, dude, this guy, this is the, this guy's carrying this match. And, and I'm actually, I was kind of conflicted because I wanted Steamboat to win. But then by the end of that match, I became a huge Ric Flair fan. What what was it? I mean, because he was a heel, and we lived in a time of where we followed baby faces and heels. It wasn't cool to like the heels like it is now. What was it about Ric Flair that that made you kind of switch sides a little bit? You know, I think Flair, was, number one, was different, right? It wasn't what we were seeing on WWE and their syndicated shows. It, it was kind of that, that TBS venue, and he just ran it. I mean, he with Tony Schiavone um, just – Ran that show, and it was like you waited, you know, during that hour for Flair to come out, or sometimes come out again. You know, he did it twice. As far as carrying uh, wrestlers, yeah, you saw he took some wrestlers maybe that had no business being in a championship match, and and made it something worth watching. Uh, Ronnie Garvin, I think, uh, and carried some of the younger guys. I think some of those matches he had with Barry Windham when Windham was coming up. Uh, Luger, Luger, who had. Uh, you know, no technical skill and coming out of Florida came in in the NWA and ended up in a program with Flair at some point. And those were good matches. Well, and and, I don't think they're all time matches, but I think they were good matches. Well, and Luger had that look too, right? And and I think that's kind of what, you know, Flair was so good that any, um, like you never realized that Luger couldn't work, but watching a Ric Flair match is like, wow, like Luger's great, you know? And, and I kind of felt the same way about, um, I mean, I knew Steamboat was good, but I think, you know, Steamboat, got lifted to a higher level i will digress a little bit i it, it wasn't my introduction to rick flair i think my introduction to rick flair was um 
was Barry Windham and Lex Luger versus uh, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. And then that's when I started watching them. I kind of watched them intermittently, and I kind of stayed away from it. But then there was like this Four Horsemen push, and then I just became a fan of the Four Horsemen. I, I, just, I just thought they were great, even though they were heels, and I, I was kind of like a closet Four Horsemen fan. That, I want to get back to your question. What I think I landed on WCW right after the Horsemen were formed. So you know, it was JJ Dillon, all four of them, you know, throwing up the four fingers, and the show was built around that, and you couldn't help but avoid it. And I mean, they went against Dusty Rhodes, and they went against Magnum TA at the time, and eventually uh, Nikita Koloff, and, and some of the others. And it was just always it was that united front, and something you hadn't seen on a on a national broadcast, right? There was never kind of that big faction that you saw there in that program. And, and what I kind of related to is like what, what NXT is now. Like NXT doesn't have that major storyline, but they have all these wrestlers and every wrestler on WCW could go. And then you kind of have like this really good attitude era storyline with the four horsemen and, and funny. Like I used to love like watching it just because I wanted to hear Jim Ross say dudes with attitudes. Cause he just butchered <laughs> it all the time. So, but they, I mean that show, I mean that like 80, 86, 87, 88, I don't think you have a better wrestling show than that. It was, it was fun, to say the least. I mean, you had Jim Ross. You had, you had the influx from the UWF, which brought us Sting, Eddie Gilbert, et cetera. All those guys just made, you know, it was, I know that the, the booking was a little, at times, mixed. But as far as content, it was entertaining. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, jump to the next one. Because we, we could talk about, me and you could talk about Ric Flair all day. I mean, I'm a huge Ric Flair, Mark. Um, so who is your uh, favorite wrestler? I don't think there's going to be any surprise. And I heard you talk about this with Ben. But right now, it's Nakamura. He's just... You know, when when I saw him announced for WWE and NXT, I got into it. I, did, I didn't know him too much, but I started watching. You know, and that, that's I love the world that we live in that we can just jump on YouTube or just dump on the the network for nine ninety nine and start watching these matches. But Nakamura, it's just you know the the skill in the ring, the the theatrics, the show, the the charisma. Well, so I want to get to that. Like, what is? I mean, I know what is charisma. Like, I know why I like him, but. What is his, what is it about him? I mean, what is that charisma? Is it just is it like a, a thing that you can't put your finger on, or is there something very specific that you just drew you to this guy? It, you know, in a weird way, and this, I don't know how this is going to come off, but a little Michael Jackson-ish in terms of the theatrics, you know, like that matters, like the way he looks, the faces he's making, the 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 gestures and the looks to the crowd, and all that stuff. Like you know, it, it's 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 come from. A wealth of experience, right? I mean, he's had a long career already on the other side of the ocean, and he's carrying that over. And so far, it's working. So, I, you know, you, you, we kind of talked a little bit. We we did a pre-show, so I mean, this is a really professional show that we're doing. So we I, I, we had like the kind of little, the little green room where I asked you like pre-questions, so I kind of know what you're talking about. Actually, I'm lying. You you you're, you're pretty thorough with, uh, with with this interview, so I appreciate that. But you said you kind of got introduced to him through uh, with his matches with AJ Styles. And what I'm going to ask you is, before I interject myself too much into this, is that have you seen him versus Okada or Tanahashi? I haven't yet. Okay, so so there's an Okada match. I think it was it's the, the G1 Climax. I think it was a G1 Climax two years ago. They were in the final. And uh, that is probably one of the top three matches I've ever seen. So if you get a chance to watch uh, – Okada versus um, Tana, uh, not Tanahashi. Okada versus Nakamura, and not just you, but everybody. I mean, that and the whole, the good thing about well, I don't want to give it away, but um, you know, Shinsuke has like Flair. He has this ability to make everybody look good, and then when he goes against a guy like say like a Sami Zayn uh, for his debut match, and I actually thought Sami Zayn put on a way better match than Nakamura did, but. 
both these guys elevated each other and uh, I'm a huge I mean Nakamura I always have like kind of like these channels of like you know I was a Benoit fan when Benoit first came out I was a I was a Flair fan and Tully Blanchard fan and then I became a Rock fan I became a CM Punk fan I mean Nakamura is like my wrestler uh right now as of today and um yeah I I just I I one because I am Japanese and and I, I you know and I'm in any guy that's a Japanese wrestler I, I like seeing that big crossover um but I, I don't know. I can't explain why I like this guy so much because it seems to me, and maybe this is a question I pose to you, even like his match with Samoa Joe, it seems right now that when he has a big match, it feels like the other guy has a better match than him. It, you know, I think there's something to Nakamura where I think he raises his game and I think the other wrestler will raise his game accordingly. And together there's, there's something more than, than what you expect, right? It, it's the, the match with Sami Zayn. You had the storyline. You knew Zayn was leaving, going full time to the, the main roster. You knew Nakamura was going in. You knew he was gonna. You knew what the end result was going to be in terms of who was winning and such. But you know the what happened in between during that time, and Zayn put on a great match, and Nakamura was elevated. And I've heard a little con, um, context on on Twitter, like maybe that was too much of a good match for the first time. Yeah. Now, but but it sold me. I can yeah. tell you that it sold me one hundred percent. I've I've heard a couple other people say that people that I respect and I'm kind of going like you know what dude I'm like what do you want him to do you want him to have a bad match so so it builds right. up to having a good match I'm like and and the thing is what I think with with him and Zayn um you know because like Balor Balor and Nakamura it was okay uh, I thought Samoa Joe and Nakamura was really good and and I was really impressed with that um but what I, what I say to people with that is like you know like look at Nakamura's body of work go look at his old New Japan stuff and you know this guy can you know I, I think he's a lot like Flair like I think. When all said and done, like Flair was, even when Flair was in his prime, people weren't saying like, "Oh my God, Ric Flair is really good." I think it was more of a case where they respected Flair, and Flair put people over. And it wasn't until like Flair was in the twilight of his career, and he's still doing the same thing and putting people over that people said, "Wow, like this guy is probably the best wrestler of all time." I think Nakamura's kind of like that. What do you think? It, you know, again, I think on the U.S. soil, we'll see what we get. Right? It, it's well, we'll see what we get on the network and where he goes. But so far, I mean, he's delivering. And I think that's um, – and he's having fun doing it. I think that comes off too. I mean you can see it on his social media posts and just kind of the interactions he has. And he's just having a blast. And I think that just carries over into the matches. And, and you know, the little things he did where he pulled uh, Samoa Joe's nose. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's both hilarious and it's perfect, right, because he's just poking at him, poking the bear. And I just – I'm hoping that he gets that respect and he gets that chance in the main roster. Yeah, that, that, that'll be the big test. I mean I think the – him coming into the U.S., I was worried that he wasn't going to be able to pull off his good vibrations um, and also kind of the, the spot where they're up against the rope and he puts his head in and kind of like, you know, throws his arms around and stuff. So he did transition that, and, and they are doing that. I don't say that makes what Nakamura is, but I think the spirit of what you're talking about, that's what Nakamura needs to do. And, yeah, I, I want him to go to the main roster, but at the same time, I'm kind of hesitant just because I've known what the main roster can do in the past. But, I, you know, it's, it, it'll be interesting we're seeing, so... Um, let's go ahead and get into another one. A uh, question is, what is the best match you have seen? It doesn't have to be in person. So I've seen a lot of matches, both live shows and, and obviously content since the mid eighties. But for me, the one, the one seminal match, and maybe this is the one that made what became WCW eventually was Sting and Flair on the first clash of the champions. That match went, you know, 45 minutes. It was the up and comer Sting who had just, you know, a few months prior been in UWF as a, tag team champion with Eddie Gilbert and he had made a splash. You know, he kind of had that, that surfer look 
And for whatever reason, he ends up in a program with Flair, and, and they killed it. They killed it on that free show, which was going up against WrestleMania on pay-per-view as, uh, you know, they traded bars with the WWF at the time. Uh, but that match just, number one on free TV, right? You're just, you're watching it. You don't expect that that type of match on TV, and you get it. And then Sting is, Sting becomes Sting. Sting becomes Sting. And there's a there's a lot of interesting dynamics with that with that match because here's the thing I, I think like me I, I've never been a big Sting fan but there was a time especially when that match happened where, where I'm sitting and watching that match and I am blown away by Sting and then you kind of look at you know because I, I saw it when it happened uh, probably as, as much as well as you did um, and then you kind of go back to that match you're like man like Sting's no, no selling like crazy but. I mean, put put me in that place. I mean, I mean, what? I mean, because I think there's a lot of people that look at Sting like, man, who that? Why did? Why does everybody get all crazy about Sting? He's not that good. Tell tell me, you know, what was it about Sting during that time that really kind of moved the needle for you? So I don't know if you caught any of that. The UWF was right around 1986 that it started getting a syndicated program, and so they would air locally here in San Jose, just you know, like 11:30 at night after the the evening news, just on some channel besides Saturday Night Live. Was 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 Kerry was Kerry Von Erich was he on that for a while? Because I remember mm, Von Erich was more. I know he was you know, the Texas based USWA Texas. And yeah, they got mixed in with AWA okay. towards the end of AWA's lifespan. But I don't think he ever got in the UWA. So this was you know Terry Gordy. This was the Freebirds. This yeah. was Doctor Dusty Williams, uh, Savannah Jack, somebody with the super kick that was insane. But all the just crazy talent and Jim Ross is announcing, and they were the kings of. The cliffhangers at the end of the show, you know, and Jim Ross, we got to go, and you never knew, and they'd come back the next week, and you kind of maybe never get the result of that match. But one of those guys on there was Sting, and Sting again was real early on. He was raw. I mean, he was absolutely raw when he teamed with the Ultimate Warrior, and who wasn't the Warrior at the time? And the name escapes me at the moment, but the um, Dingo, when Dingo, they were the Blade Runners. Yeah, he was a Dingo. Oh no, he was. He wasn't the Dingo Warrior, was he? Not yet. That was in Texas. He was like Blade Runner, Blade Runner Smash. I don't know. It was, it was something stupid. Yeah. But you know, they were just they were just muscleheads, right? I mean, they just came in and, and kind of a poor man's Road Warriors type of thing. They'd come in and smash. But Sting ended up getting paired with Eddie Gilbert, and Eddie Gilbert could wrestle and he could he could talk on the mic, and you know, I'm sure he learned something. When the UWF got bought by um, NWA, WCW, and Crockett. They started bringing them in, and they actually ran a West Coast program. They did some live shows here, and they ended up at a San Jose Municipal Stadium. Wow! So they put the match in, they put the ring in the infield, and we saw Sting. Sting was on, you know, one of the early matches on the card, and it was just like, oh wow, you know, like this guy can go a little bit. Like this is, you know, he had some energy going. And the main event was Ric Flair. So imagine that, you know, Ric Flair wrestling in front of maybe twenty five hundred people at, at Muni Stadium. So, you know, you had these guys, I'd seen them live a couple times, and to see them go on a program a few months later, Sting, you didn't expect them to be on, you know, on a, on a pay-per-view level match, and there he goes. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Flair had an eye for who was going to be the next big thing, and I think uh, one thing with Flair, and you, and you kind of compare it with Hulk Hogan, where Hulk Hogan would see like a, a up-and-coming star and squash him to make himself look good. I think Flair, I mean, Flair had that in him, don't get me wrong, but I think Flair also looked at the upcoming stars and said, okay, how can I put this guy over? I'm still going to win, but how can I make him a star so he can take the belt for me and then I can get it back? Um, and, and Sting had that look, right? I mean, I don't think there was a better look at that time besides maybe Lex Luger, but I don't think there's a better, like, cooler look than Sting because late 80s was a crazy time, right? He had, you know, I mean, the Road Wars had the face paint. He took the face paint. 
actually became a brother in pain, I think, at some point with them uh, before they turned on him for being too nice, I suppose. But, uh, you know, he had the, which was different. He had a California surfer look in, you know, over there in Georgia, but it went over. And every, you know, whether, what program, whether it was the Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening program, whether it was a syndicated program, you had Sting beating somebody and then coming on the mic and yelling and screaming and just pure energy. Yeah. Pure energy. Yeah, and his his promo was uh his promo was a Bruce the Barber beefcake without beefcake talking all quiet and then talking really loud. So yeah, it was a yeah it was a crazy time, man. And 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 I I really kind of wanted I, I wish I could see more Great Muda versus him or Great Muda versus uh Ric Flair. But you know that getting back to that match that was a that was an eye opening match because I've never seen a champion just get steamrolled like that and then still like he doesn't lose the belt right. Didn't lose the belt. Didn't lose. I mean, both of them came out ahead. Yeah. Both of them came out ahead and pushed forward another, you know, a program that carried another year. I mean, part of it had to do with uh, Sting's injury, but you know, Sting becoming a horseman and just this long, long storyline. It wasn't over in a week. It wasn't over in two weeks. It wasn't, you know, a best of seven like we're seeing right now with Sheamus and uh, you know something that's disposable, right? I mean, this was which I refuse to watch. I don't. I, I'm refusing to watch that. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't this throwaway thing. Like you said, Flair elevated Sting. Sting went around for the ride, put in the work, put himself as a, as the main face in the program, and carried that. He carried it, yeah. You know, he was a flag bearer for for WCW. And, and if he, if he doesn't get injured, he got injured like twice. If he doesn't get injured twice, I mean, I think we have a different biopic on Sting. And um, I don't think I think maybe he's still wrestling today. And he's not as broken down as he used to be. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, you know, it's funny doing this stuff. I, I, I remember that match, and then, but I kind of, it was on my back burner. The second that you remember that, you mentioned that match to me, I was like, wow. I'm like, I remember that match. I remember that point in time. So that's, that's good stuff. Um, One thing I'll say on this, just to cap it off, Sting, I loved him more as a challenger, less yes. as a champion. It seemed like once he got the belt, it was like, okay, I'm the belt, I'm the champion, I'm going to wrestle him. But that spirit of chasing the champion, and especially that first time through with Flair, unmatched. I mean, he was just, you know, tenacious with it, and it, it it worked well on TV. And that really kind of signifies how a wrestler is, right? I mean, because there's always the chase, and then when they finally get it, uh, and there's there's some modern day examples of that as well. They're escaping me, but it's like, okay, what you won the title, what are you going to do now? And I think that's kind of why I think Flair resonates so well was because stuff wasn't scripted. Uh, he had a big backlog of the character that he was. And and I think that's, you know, I think Sting would have gotten that if he didn't get hurt. And it was always a case with him. He would win something, then he would get hurt. So um, kind of, I mean, I'm not a big Sting fan, but I think if he doesn't get hurt, I think, I think we're talking in a different light. And I think he goes down as one of the best, you know, best five wrestlers of all time. So definitely, uh, definitely a little kind of, whatever I want I'm trying to say it's it's kind of I'm not saying it's sad maybe a tragedy how about that um so speaking of one tragedy and going to another tragedy um Ouch. who is a who's the wrestler you hate not named John Cena so like I mentioned to you you know hate's a strong word but right now it's Seamus you know Seamus just just brings nothing to me I mean his last title reign was just kind of like what like like why I mean I know that there was that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie that you wanted to push a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he just doesn't bring anything. I mean, he at, at the time, there was something there, and, and now it's just, you know, change the channel, you know, go take a shower, do something, anything, you know, grab a late-night snack, but it's not watch the TV. There's just nothing there. So when he when he came out and kind of shocked the world when he beat John Cena for the World Heavyweight title, what was your, what was your thoughts about him then? 
that was kind of, you know, kind of cool. You know, we had, we had an Irishman in there and it was just kind of a different, you know, he was a strong man and one, he beat Cena, which is cool to me, you know, super Cena. I'm not a, I, I, I don't hate Cena, but I'm just not a fan of super Cena. And then the point where he was winning all the time, love Cena right now where he's putting people over terrific. But that's, that that's, time, that's interesting. You say that I, I haven't thought about that, but that's really interesting. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But no, no, it's okay. Um, Seamus at the time, you know, new energy, right? And he was he was different, and he was strong, and he was. But something, you know, when he took that time off and did some movies, and I don't know if he was hurt, but just he didn't come back with the same. I don't know, just just something. So when when he is the word I think. Yeah, when, when he came, so when he came back, John Cena was on top again. He was the main face, and then they kind of tried to make Seamus the secondary face. Uh, what, what was kind of your thoughts about that? Is that when you when the when you started to kind of turn on him a little bit or not even turn on him, but just kind of go like, okay, I didn't know about you before. Now I really don't like you. Yeah. You know, it was just kind of like, you know, second fiddle type thing. It's like, eh, like you know, he, it just seems like he doesn't, there's just, he doesn't know what to do with it. You know, he's a mid card. He's a mid card is what he is. And yeah. He's miscast as being kind of on the upper end of the card. Well, they, they, yeah, they, they try to make him a heel. Um, I, I kind of thought United Nations, if they gave it a little bit of time, it w- if he needs people around him. And I thought that's what the United Nations was kind of doing. I was kind of, it wasn't like I was upset that they stopped the United Nations, but I think if you have those four guys with Seamus as your top guy, I think there's something there. I mean, now it's kind of like when he has to be by himself, he has to do his own matches with himself. And, um, you know, when, when, when I can't even watch a match with Cesaro, uh, because they're doing this best of seven. Um, I just don't think he's a good performer, I, especially against a guy like Cesaro, right? I mean, is, is there anything redeeming about Sheamus? Is there anything that can, can that can turn the corner? What what can they do to make this guy legitimate again? I'm thinking he may be a guy that actually needs a manager, needs needs some talent along with him, you know, that can do most of the talking. There's some wrestlers who just who should be quiet, kind of take a lesson from Lesnar. Talk less, let, the, let someone else do the talking for you, and just go out and beat people up. Yeah, uh, it's, I don't want to spend any more time on this guy, so I'd rather uh, let, let's let's spend the time uh, talking about kind of what you do. So here's my production value, and I think I'm going to get it right this time. I've fumbled around the other ones, but here we go. Let's bring it. All right, I did it right. So um, go ahead and let, let, let's uh, talk a little bit about yourself. What's your what's your kind of interests um, outside of wrestling, and if there's anything you kind of want to push, or just let, tell us a little bit about yourself. So interest, you know, you talked a little bit about it. You know, I'm a, I'm all over the place. Comic books, baseball cards, baseball. You know, in general, sports. Big fan. I've got two young boys. I've got a wife, and then we enjoy sports. And matter of fact, we're getting ready to go to the A's game this afternoon. Perfect. Um, so let's talk about that. So I'm going to interject because um, sure. because I met you through cardboard icons, and uh, we we followed each other on Instagram, on Twitter. And your boys, man, I, I'm telling you right now, like uh, you've actually. I mean, I've kind of always. I'm, I'm a Yankees fan. But living in California, you know, I, I was around for the A's. Um, I appreciate what, what the A's have done, especially like, you know, Hendu, Dave Stewart, uh, even Louis Polonia. And, uh, and um, oh God, who is that? Who is that? The Cobra. Oh, I love the Cobra. But your boys, tell, tell uh, instead of me giving away, what do your boys do at the game in terms of – and you tell me, like, I want – I'm looking at a picture of, of your boys on Instagram. Tell me what they do. In turn, like Mark Henry, tell me what they do, you know, for an A's game and just kind of that whole mystique that you guys are, you have around your boys for a game. So right now they're they're known as the Doolittle Brothers, and that that kind of started, you know, the, basically it's taking cosplay to the to the Coliseum, right? It's just a little fun we had. We had a few years ago, and this is right about the time that uh, Josh Reddick had joined the team. We were headed out to spring training. My sister had gone on vacation down to Mexico. She brings back a luchador mask for my son. It's green and yellow. Like, hey, bring it. 
but let's go to let's go to spring training and let's wear it, not knowing that you know there's huge wrestling fans on the on the roster. But we go out there. We're at the first game of spring training that year in 2012. Son's got the mask on. There's somebody from the local news that comes over and interviews him just because he's got the mask on. And my son's great on the mic. Like, he's got a good voice. <laughs> he's an orator. You know, he, he ate it up, right? And they ate it up. So it, it worked well. We come forward. We go to the first um, the first Bay Bridge Series game in Oakland just before the season started. I remember Reddick in his first at-bat against Matt Cain hits a home run. We find out that Reddick's a WWE fan. My son's out there with the mask. Uh, friend, another Omar, speaking of Omar's. Uh, Omar in the outfield, he christens him the champ. So he becomes a champ. And later on, my younger son gets a mask and he becomes Super J. So they're rolling around the Coliseum with the wrestling belts and just having fun with it. I mean, there's nothing more to it than just having fun. It's something to keep the boys entertained, interact with some people. You know, they, they've been in some situations. My son, my oldest son, has been on the radio a couple times with Rick Tittle awesome. um, during events. And it's just kind of a neat experience. You know, going forward, uh, Doolittle, we had a night where we just, um, we were doing something different. And we had, there was this uh, video of Doolittle that they produced during spring training where he played different characters. He, replay, he played himself, he played reporter Doolittle, he played superstar Doolittle. And it was a Doolittle wearing his hat backwards with shades on and a, a Levi's jacket. And we decided, you know what, we got this stuff in the house, let's do it. And we ended up going to the game, and it just the reaction I got was pretty funny, including from uh, Doolittle himself and uh, his better half, Aaron Dolan. Uh, you know, we connected with them, and he said he loved it, and just it was good energy, and it's something that we've carried on. And the cool thing is, it's somebody that they can look forward, look, can look up to. Yeah, uh, he's he's a great example for all of us, and it's pretty cool just supporting him. No, nothing more than that. I mean, there's there's not more to it. I mean, there's a couple of other things that it's done for us personally. I mean, in terms of building these boys up and, and giving them some character. and But it, it's just fun. It, it's what it is. It, it's not anything. It's not forced. If they don't want to do it, they don't do it. It's, it's not something mom and dad are forcing them into. But they, they just have fun with it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and you know, I like that you bring that point up because a lot of times when, when kids are – and I'm not, I'm not saying that your kids are using this way – um, but a lot of times when you, when you have kids dressed up, you know, the parents, I mean, it's, it's, it kind of starts with something that the kids want to do. And then the parents are like, wow, we can really do something with this. Um, you know, following you and, and knowing you for the past, well, it's been about two, three years already. Right. I mean, dick, yeah. yeah I mean, I've, I've seen these, I mean, I've seen these boys grow up right before my eyes. And the whole thing is like, when I'm looking at these photos and, uh, on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever it is, um, it never seems like it's anything more than, than that. I mean, and the, the and what I want to kind of tell you is like, I don't see you in any of these photos in terms of like, I don't see your direction, right? Like these boys, when, when they're taking pictures, they're having fun. And that's like the main thing. And like, I didn't know that they were talking to do little, I didn't know that, that your older son was, was on the radio. All, all I see is like the A's provide an avenue for fans to kind of have fun. Um, and these boys have fun and it seems like it's on their own volition. And I, I think that's pretty cool. That's, that's the one reason why I was like, man, I'm like, I'm like this kid, you know, dressing up and super J and stuff. Cause I think, there's a part of me that go like, man, what the heck is this, right? It's like, man, I, I don't, I don't want to see your kids and this, and this. But the whole thing is like, it's, I, I, you know, it was never forced on me, and I'm just seeing these kids have fun and and, and they're interacting with with fans and and they're taking pictures with fans and stuff. And some of the girls are really hot that they're taking pictures with. I'm like, man, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, hey, good for these guys, you know. So uh, well, that was the one. I will admit to that one. We were, uh, <laughs> we were at the All Star festivities in uh, San Diego. You know, we ended up there with, uh, what's her name, Nina, the gal that was the SI cover model. And she was there signing autographs. And I just kind of nudged my oldest. <laughs> you're going to want this selfie. Yeah. Said, you may not want it now, but you're going to probably want it in a couple of years. 
I said, you'll figure it out. And sure enough, he got that selfie. And that's the one time. Like I did. Yeah. But other than that, it, it's all them. And, and here's the other thing. I mean, they're huge baseball fans. They, they play baseball. All they, you know, or, or the oldest one isn't playing. He's into basketball now. But um, they're, they're huge baseball fans. They, they like it. They enjoy it. It's not all consuming. I mean, they're, they're not sweating the, the pennant races at this point. And they're not too worried that their team is, you know, 20 or 21 games under 500. That isn't the issue. It's, you know, we're going to go out there today and just have fun. Yeah. And whatever happens at the end of it. You know, it, it happens. Well, the, be some ice cream or something after. Well, the best thing about this whole thing is uh, when we're scheduling this interview, um, I'm like, oh, what? Are, you know, usually it's like, you know, whatever it is, it, your time frame as compared to the other people I'm setting stuff up with is totally different. And you're like, well, I got baseball until until this this time, and I'm going like, well, I have soccer until this time. So it's kind of funny. Like, you know, I have two girls. Uh, one of my girls does play uh, baseball in the spring. They're both playing soccer now, but it is really nice to kind of connect and just go like. Oh yeah, you know, like this guy, me and this guy are, are a lot alike in terms of what our priorities are. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, real fast, I, I think we cannot do this without talking about comic books. Um, what was your first uh, comic uh, that that you remember reading, and uh, what did that lead to in terms of fandom? Wow, the first because I know mine, and, and mine mine is uh, old nineteen, I think like nineteen eighty two or nineteen eighty three Nova comic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm triggered and I'm stumped. I actually don't know what the first comic is, but I will tell you the first one that kind of mattered, that, that kind of took it from, you know, we used to have a supermarket down the street um, called Dick's Supermarket, and they had a comic rack. And so you'd go in there and you'd buy your 25-cent comic. You know, I'm old enough to, to buy comics at 25 cents and 35 cents. But it was the um, Uncanny X-Men 121. I was in fourth grade and had a couple friends in the class because back then, you know, comics, it, it wasn't cool, right? Like, yeah. if you were reading comics, it was kind of like, hey, like, on the side. So it was kind of hard to find out if people were actually reading them. But I had a couple friends that were doing it, and they were like, hey, you got to read X-Men. Like, it's good stuff. So sure enough, you know, the next time I saw it on the rack, I picked it up and haven't stopped since. I mean, well, that, and was, uh, that was the issue. That was, that was Rogue, right? Uh, Uncanny X-Men 121 was the tail end of... X-Men versus, um, who's the Canadian team? The, um, oh, Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight, okay. yes. What was the cover of that? Because I remember we, we, you, you posted, I think you posted a, an old one, Rogue Joined the X-Men, and then I was like, oh, I, I, I have that comic book. Um, so here, here's the deal with me with the X-Men. was X-Men, I got introduced to X-Men, um, God, right, uh, Mastermind's second attempt to, uh, to take the X-Men down. And... Uh, it was it was uh, actually Logan's wedding to, that got messed up with uh, Mariko, but all I know is, is is me being the person that I am. I fell in love with Kitty Pride, and I was like, dude, I'm like she's hot, and like so I kept on reading comics with that. Who's she was just a great character? Yeah, and they, Claremont interjected her and Burn. I, mean, I shouldn't say Claremont alone; it's Claremont and Burn. Uh, they interjected her, and you know, again, kind of like what we were talking about earlier with, with Flair and Sting. It was a long storyline. I mean, they introduced her just in the middle of the uh, Dark Phoenix, what ended up being the Dark Phoenix yeah. song, right? And she's just this character in the background, a student that may come to the school, and she ends up being one of the key characters yeah. in, in history. And, and, what, and then that issue is she was a major part in one of the biggest defeats of, you know, in X-Men at that time. Like, they just get waylaid, and, and Kitty Pride saves them all, right? Right. Just yeah. insane. I mean, she was when, – when she was introduced, just casual, right? Just – Hey, here's a student, and let's go. And then she ends up being just one of the most important X Men we've ever seen. How are you with the um, Excalibur? Did you like Excalibur? No, never, never wow. got into it. There was, there was a point there where, by the time those those series were coming out, I was out. 
you know, discovered girls and things like yeah. that. So, you know, it was like the money was going elsewhere at the time. I yeah. Think. Uh, so, so there was a blank, you know, period in my comic collecting. I would, I would tell you like the first, like the first eight issues of Excalibur, uh, pretty epic, man. you have Alan Moore in his prime, uh, Claremont is doing good work. Uh, if you like Nightcrawler and Kitty Pride, uh, that series really set those two off in terms of the characters that I think people like now. Um, so if, if there was, if, if I'm a new, I remember I was on an airplane and I was reading, uh, I was reading Earth X and the guy sat next, sat next to me and said, well, what's that? You know, and I was like, well, you know, and I kind of explained it to him. And I was like, if you want to get him back into comics, here are the three, uh, kind of the three like storylines that became graphic novels. Like, you know, like say like the Dark Phoenix saga, right? Or Earth X. What are the three storylines or three books that people can, collections that people can buy that I think it, that every comic fan needs? I think the Dark Phoenix saga, I, I love that one. Days of Future Past, which is an incredible piece of work. I think just two issues and it, it turned into something that's pushed that, that storyline all the way through. Um, you know, another favorite of mine would have to be the um, Perez Wolfman Teen Titans. Mm. That's and a- that would just be probably the, um, the Terra storyline, you know, where she's revealed as a traitor. Uh, or, you know, who is Donna Troy? That's another one, you know, all trade paperbacks. But for me, Perez is, is my all-time favorite artist. And George George Perez, right? George Prince, yes. Yeah, and he, he did that. He did the Thanos, Thanos covers, Infinity Gauntlet covers. Yeah, awesome. He did everything. I mean, yeah. he would, when he was at Marvel, I think he was doing like three monthly books at a time and covers, and you know, he just it was an incredible pace at the time. But for me, he was he was the guy. He was the guy, and so when he went over to to DC and started with Justice League, but eventually ended up landing on and developing Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman. Just insane. Teen Titans were, were probably my all time favorite characters, even ahead of the X Men. So I gotta. I've never read Teen Titans, so now I gotta go and buy Teen, Teen Titans, right? Start. You have to. You okay, have to. I will. I yes, will. Those Wolfman, the, the Wolfman and Perez issues are, are the ones. I mean, if you really want to go back, go back to uh, the original series in issue forty-three where they relaunched it. It's throwaway comics, but at the same time, those were fun. Okay. Uh, uh, since you did this for me, uh, I'll I'll start looking that up because I kind of I get back in every now and then. I don't read comics as much as I used to. Um, uh, one thing I do have to ask though is uh, um, the Watchmen. You have you read that series? I've read it. And it, it's been a while since I've read it again, but I've read it. And I I think in and of itself, a, a good great work. I think along with Dark Knight, I, I, I enjoyed it for what it is. I, I'm a believer in Alan Moore and his. Uh, it, it was meant to be that, not meant to be anything else. It wasn't meant to be another series. It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be pigeonholed into rebirth. <laughs> it, it was a standalone work, and it, it should have stayed that way. Great, great answer. Um, yeah, I've, and I don't think it should have been a movie either. So, <laughs> um, all right. So, hey, uh, we we are getting past the thirty minute mark. It's very easy to talk to you, um, especially when you start talking about your kids. I can talk about my kids. We start talking about comics and wrestling. Um, Omar, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, anything else you like a parting shot that you want to do where I can't come back and say something over on top of you? No, you know what? I think we're good. I think we've talked plenty, and I think it's pretty obvious we could talk for another few hours if we wanted to. But it's it, it's been fun. I appreciate it. Oh well, thanks for taking the time out. I I really really enjoyed this. Um, and hey, go have fun at uh go have fun on um at your A's game. And uh, when you take an Instagram photo, uh, give, give this podcast a shout out too. How about that? Will do. All it's right, so open. all right, thank you, sir. <laughs> Got a price.
everybody's gonna pay. Cause the million dollar man 